Hello and welcome to the podcast with me, your favorite pop culture critic, Afro Seven. Today I've got a repeat and lovely guest with me, Michael, with whom I like to discuss politics and everything Nigerian. So he's here on the show. And just before we came on air, he was teasing me about my love of Big Brother, okay? And I was explaining to him that it's nice to see Nigerians in their element, you know, the interplay of social classes, backgrounds upbringing etc it's it's interesting and that's why i watch it michael i take it you don't like big brother well thank you Tola, for having me on the show again as Onye Nkuzi would say he'd say uh programs like big brother are a manifestation of the vacuous nature of the nigerian intelligentsia oh please so, <laughs> so. oh please it's a social experiment it's a social experiment and i i don't think there's anything vacuous about it if you if you look at it for the undertones you know there are lots of undertones at play like for example there's a particularly fair-skinned lady on there and her presence has made a lot of people uncomfortable the contestants and the viewers and and a lot of a lot of funny Funny, self-deprecating humor has come to the fore as a result of her presence in the house. And I'm going to actually write about it because I watch Big Brother obsessively because I love it. I absolutely love well, it. Well, the truth is, I can see why in England or in America, people might find, or, or Europe in particular, England or Europe, they might find Big Brother interesting because they tend to have very small nuclear families. So for them, these things are... Uh, novel, watching drama on TV. Well, the average Nigerian has a huge extended family. So we've seen all this drama, <laughs> your uncle doing one thing, auntie doing one thing. So to be honest, there's nothing being put on TV. But you, ha- you been- haven't watched it. How can you say this? You have. I mean, how are you going to know that Tony is playing T-Boss and Bisola? How are you going to know that? How are you going to know that Bali really likes Bisola, but we don't know if he really likes her because it's a game and he might be playing her. But then, but then Bassi really likes T-Boss, but he can't move to her because everyone thinks he likes Debbie. How are you going to know if you don't watch? Well, I suppose my point is, in real life, in extended family, I've seen enough drama, so... To be honest, I don't have the space to add uh, artificially created drama on TV into the real life ones I've seen. So. Don't be such a snob. It's lovely. I love it. And I encourage everyone. It's probably too late now because, you know, it's almost near the end. So the next season that comes on, I encourage everybody to watch it because I will be watching. If by God's grace, I'm still alive and around, I will be watching it. So yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a lovely intro for today's discussion. To move on to more important matters now, or to different matters, I should say. Our favorite governor, governor par excellence, the foremost <laughs> governor in the entire 36 states of Nigeria. <laughs> My favorite, Governor Nasser Ahmed El Rufai, uh, released, or a memo of his was leaked this past week. Uh, a memo in which he chastised the government for this, for the style of it, for its policies, for its failure to integrate, you know, a host of things. Michael, did you get a chance to read the letter? Well, yes, I read the memo release, released in quotations by your <laughs> old uh, favorite governor. Yes, I, I read the memo. Leaked, leaked, you mean? Well, it, well, you could call it leaked, but... As I've said, I'll, I'll probably go into further detail, but as we, if you go through the TL and if you've read people who've written about El Rufai, this was prophesied. So 
it's only uh, sorry to be rude, but it's only the naive who will claim, oh, this memo was how can was you, leaked. How can you say say it wasn't leaked? Our dear governor is in where is he in the Netherlands studying his PhD? He couldn't have released it by himself, surely not. I, I'm sure we actually discussed this last week that how Nigerian politicians always seem to be in London when they go to hold their meetings. They're never in Nigeria. So they're always conveniently out of the country. So to be honest, I, I'm actually surprised that after all these years, mm. uh, Rufai has not tried a new trick. He's gone back to the old ones. Well, in all fairness to him, this letter was written last year, um, September last year, to be fair. And I think I don't. I think it behooves him to speak truth to power, considering. Okay, you, I know there are other intrigues at play. I know that there are other moves, you know, at play. And this is a bit underhanded. The the leaking in quotes of this letter is a bit underhanded. But that sort of side, if what we want is for the powers that be to speak truth to power and to each other, to me, this is this is a good move. I read that letter and I disagree with only maybe one point in it. You know, I disagreed with where he called out a uh, 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 fire shit, not fire shit. What's the, the mining guy, the ex-governor of Ekiti? Fire, fire me. Me. I, I disagreed with where he called out fire me and a, and a couple of others. And I also disagree with his lang- with the language he employed when he was talking about uh, Rotimi Amechi. Those are the only two parts of it that I disagreed with. Well, I'd say the, when I saw the memo, I felt... Uh, two things. Mm. I, I think those are the main two things I'm mainly going to focus on. Um, mm-hmm. The first was it, it. I was. I was finally. I was pleased that it, we, who they call the whalers, in quotation, that after all, the whalers are not mad. Well, because, some of them are. Some of them are. To be honest, to be fair, some of them are mad. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, in general, say, uh, yeah, Twitter has mad people in every. Uh, some in every of the, I mean, some of the haters are also mad. So you know, the yes. mad people. But I'm saying, in the the in the, the mainstream whalers are not mad <laughs> after all because these were the things we said from the outset that uh, people insulted and mocked us for saying such as such as give give me give me an example, Michael. Things such as. Okay, I'll give you the the first example is. I remember in 2015, after Buhari was sworn in and the time-wasting began, Mm. I remember the time saying that, look, if Buhari wants to prove himself to be a uniting type of president, if he wants to unite the country because of the divisions, Mm. that one of the wise things for him to do would be to appoint uh, a technocrat from the Ijo ethnic group into a high-profile position in his government. Because what that would say to the Ijaw people especially is, I know I defeated Kulok Jonathan in an election, but it was not a war on the Ijaw people. That look, I'm bringing one of you into okay, my government okay, to okay. show that this I is a truly national government. I don't want us to rehash Jonathan's failures and Buhari's failures. Yeah. Focus solely on the memo, no. please. Because you have a penchant yes, for talking yes. about the elections. Focus solely on the memo, Michael. Yes, no, I'm, I'm getting there. And I remember making that point at the time, and one of El Rufai's protégés calling me a tribalist for saying that. And then all of a sudden, El Rufai releases a memo, more or less saying basically what I was saying, which is... Leaked, your leaked. Government... Let's use the right terminology. He, the memo was leaked. Mm, go on. Well, 
you can call it leaked, I'll call it released, but the refine has released the memo <laughs> more or less saying what I was saying. And the very same person who was insulting me is also now hailing the memo as indicative of Rufai's intelligence. I mean, I know, now, who you, I know who you're speaking about, and I refuse to let this get into a personality thing. Focus on the issue at hand, which is... It's, I mean, it's, not about, it's not about you being vindicated and stuff. Let's not, let's not sweat the small stuff. Let's, the contents well, of the it's memo... It's about Michael, being vindicated, because it shows that, all right, first Michael, of all, I will we are not mad I will send you a cookie. Things. Michael, I will send you a cookie. Let's focus on the memo okay. itself, please. Not patting okay. yourself on the well, back, just focus on the memo. Well, the, the, the problem is, the reason why it's difficult to focus on the memo is because it's hard to even take the memo seriously. Okay. Because the first thing is, the first point that Rafai made, one of the key points that Rafai made in the memo is Buhari needs to consult with his governors more and before making key political appointments, he needs to consult with the state governors mm. because they are the ones who can give him sort of a political backing mm. and they are able to better measure the political uh, uh, temperature. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem with, with that point is El Rufai actually gave an interview to Daily Trust mm. in where he more or less defended Buhari's decision to not consult the governors. And Erufai actually said in that interview that I was one of the people that advised Buhari not to listen to the governors. That actually I told him, pick your own team because we governors are going to pick our own team. We're not asking for anybody's input. So why should... Yes, I I, I recall... I'm not certain if it was him who said it, but I recall reading something along the same lines and i also had the uh, the pleasure of asking him personally these questions and you know to be honest with you when i asked him this is what december this year i mean last year when i asked him he was very politically correct shall we speak so he 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 didn't want to say any anti-government anything so he was just telling me exactly what you'd expect a party man to say so i mean i was quite surprised that he had he held these views as well when i when i saw the memo i was like oh okay all right. No, but it's, it's, it's one thing to talk in political speak, which is not say one thing either here nor there. Mm. But it's another thing to come forward. You can read the interview was Daily Trust on the 17th of October 2015. Mm. He specifically said he told Buhari not to listen to the governors, that Buhari should pick his own team. Yeah. Then for him to then go, go back and now write a memo saying the opposite of what he himself had publicly yeah, said yeah, he told Buhari yeah, yeah. is one example of the duplicity involved. The mm. second was he talked about the, the, the unbalanced nature of Buhari's inner team, where he's saying that the, the South East seems to be excluded, yeah. so they need to be given more appointments in government. Yeah. The funny thing is, even in his interview with you in London, a few yeah, months ago, yeah, Buhari was. He was defending that. that he was specific. defending. He was defending the status quo by saying that uh, <laughs> Kaduna didn't get this and Kaduna got that. Yeah, yeah. I, re- I recall that. Yeah. So he himself was justifying mm-hmm. the unbalanced appointments by claiming that actually. Yes, no, but then, but then you know, but then by this time, I interviewed him in December. So by this time, the memo, in theory, if we're to believe the date on the release memo, on the leaked memo, the memo had already been sent. So he was on the outside, to me, an outsider, maintaining the status quo once again, but he had already spoken his true mind, in quotes, well, to, to the presidency at that point. That, 
That is your charitable interpretation of what Rafa <laughs> is doing. But I, we're looking what at I'm dates. Saying, we're looking at dates, right? What, what I'm saying is, if you look at his history, his relationship with Obasanjo, his relationship with Atiku, there is nothing he's done now that he has not Ooh, done before. Michael, I mean, we fact, are focusing on the, the most, contents of the memo. Well, we're focusing. What I'm trying to provide is one of the reasons why it's actually hard to take it seriously. Okay, let me give you my final example. With Atiku, for example, mm-hmm. Elrufai went to the Senate and testified on the oath that when he was head of the Bureau for Public Enterprises, mm-hmm. Atiku did not interfere one day in anything that he did. He testified on that oath. Mm-hmm. A few years after that, Elrufai writes a book claiming that on numerous occasions, Atiku interfered with his work and tried mm-hmm. to get him mm-hmm. to engage in corrupt practices. Yes, yes, I recall that, yes. Yes. So, like many of us have said about Erufai, it is actually hard to tell what the man actually believes. For him, it seems to be a game of politics. So, he will say what he needs to say at the right time if he thinks it's beneficial for him. Mm. It doesn't take an idiot to see that the political wind is blowing and the only way to save yourself is to throw Buhari under it's the to bus. to dissociate itself from this present ben- government. Yes. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Don't go too far because, I mean, you get too happy uh, dissing or so to speak. So the one thing that actually... No, no, no. Wait, the one thing that actually stood out to me was his opinion on the fiscal the fiscal, the fiscal, fiscal management of the economy or whatever the right term is. Because I recall hearing him on several occasions saying he thought more controls were needed. That is to say the CBN needed to cap the lending rates from commercial banks to us SMEs, the government needed to interfere yeah. more with the exchange rate. And I thought, oh, this is quite disappointing. Coming from somebody like this, I expected better. So I was quite surprised in the letter to find that he had departed, at least on the on the face of it, he had departed from that position. But I don't believe that he has because I heard him repeat the former position on more than one occasion. Do you see what I mean? So that's when I read the letter. I thought, hmm, he's clearly dissociating himself from the status quo by saying, this is what I would do if I were in your position. But he had already expressed his own opinions on the controls in place vis-a-vis the CBN, small small to medium enterprises, the lending rate, the exchange rate. Do you see what I mean? Well, what, 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 I, what I read from the memo is him trying to play the double game. Mm. So he did not even specifically say, you need to float the Naira. All he said was there needs to be more coordination between uh, monetary policy and fiscal policy. And that, in, in a sense, is actually a meaningless statement because even a communist government could coordinate its monetary yes, and yes, uh, yes, fiscal yes. policy. Mm-hmm. But that's not the question. The question is, are you adopting a market approach or a socialist approach? So he wasn't really saying much, in essence. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rufai avoided the issue. What he did was write something in political speak that anybody could interpret it any way they way wanted. They yes. Interpret it. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So, so essentially, it, in your view, let's not make this about the man who wrote the memo. You know, I know what yeah. you think about the man who wrote the memo. That's well established. The memo itself, going forward now, what does it do? Because to me, it means that this fellow has shown his hand, which is. He's paying some kind of obeisance to Buhari by calling him dear leader or, or everything short of dear leader. But yeah. everyone can see this is an open power play, especially the leaking of the memo is an open power play, you know. So what is well, it? What, what, what it, go on. Well, I suppose what it does for, for me is, first of all, it provides 
greater context to all the leaks that have been taking place in the past. Because if you note, Sahara reporters have been reporting many stories about the Chief of Staff and the Secretary of the Government of the Federation. Mm -hmm. And at the time, a few of us already speculated that, look, this was coming from probably Arufai because Abakir is clearly a threat to his access to Buhari. Mm -hmm. But by reading this memo, it's now clear that, or it's, it's clear that it's more likely than not that, yes, Arufai was the chief, the chief leaker trying to cause confusion in the presidency. And the fact that the memo was leaked also indicates to me that he's probably already now been fully frozen out of the government. Yes, yes, yes. yes. That's, that, was it, my, that was my chief takeaway, that he's been almost completely frozen out. And his yes. access to Bihari has been minimized, if, if it still exists at all. You know, So yeah, yes. that's, that's, that was my chief takeaway as well. And also, so, also yes. this essentially means that the Saraki camp has won. Well, not necessarily. Why? Tell me what you because, think. Because, well, as, as you know, the, the presidency has uh, various centers of power. Mm. Buhari does not necessarily trust Saraki, but the fact that he doesn't trust the Orofi does not mean he's going to lean on Saraki. Those, those are two people that... No, not, 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 even in relation, not in relation to Buhari himself, in relation to 2019. That's what I'm saying. Well, it, 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 we, we don't know yet because if you see from the memo, mm. uh, Rufai tried to rope in uh, the Tinubu camp or the Southwest group into his own sort of sphere of thinking. Mm -hmm. So the question is, it, it could be a possibility that Rufai decides to run with maybe Fashola or somebody from the Southwest or even maybe decides to be Tinubu's running mate in 2019. Tinubu's so, not going to run. I wish you just did that idea. He's not going to run. Well, we, we, we don't know that yet. Anyway, we'll, we'll, see. See. we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Yes. Mm -hmm. So at this stage, it's it's not clear whose errand Rufai is running yeah. because this could be the start of, of an alliance with somebody in, in the Southwest. So it's mm -hmm. too early to say this has pushed him out. But what, what we can say is is we I don't think he's in Buhari's uh, camp anymore. Yeah. All his good camp. graces. <laughs> Yes. Mm. Okay, so that's your that's your takeaway from the memo, and it, it tallies with mine as well. So, agenda two, the rejection of Magu. What is your take on that? Because that has confused the hell out of me, and I've looked at it from two angles, which is the 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 court case, the CCC trial against Saraki was supposed to help to keep him in line. That has been watered down. It's probably not going to go anywhere. But, I mean, it's still there hanging around. It's a leash that could be yanked anytime anybody feels like it. But uh, Saraki has held several meetings with, with the president directly in London yeah. after he got back, you know. And he still disgraces his men like this. I don't understand it. What's going on? Well, once again, I think... We need to look back to the way the 1966 set play their politics. This uh, manoeuvre seems to me to be something that an Obasanjo or an IBB would do. So there's nothing surprising about the, the approach. I think what's happened is, we, first of all, we must remember that Daura, as DSS Director General, mm -hmm. was, not just, was not put there based on merit because, in fact, he was disciplined on numerous occasions because of his incompetence yes, yes, when yes, yes. other people were in charge of the ESS. Mm -hmm. he's, he's, he's from Buhari's hometown and mm -hmm. is clearly very, very close to Buhari. Okay. So 
Daurab would not issue that memo unless he knew he had the support of Buhari. So why so then we me, nominate and to, represent the guy for confirmation? Why? Well, because when I was reading the papers, I could see that, to a large extent, the international community or the international uh, criminal fighting community mm -hmm. uh, has an interest in Daur uh, in Magu getting the job. Mm -hmm. And if you were Buhari and did not want to diminish your anti-corruption credentials, mm -hmm. you would play along and say, look, I nominated him, but it wasn't me that... Uh, that got it rejected. It was the Senate. It was nothing to do with me. So that's the double game I suspect Buhari's played. He's pushed the name there, but also told Dara, yes, you send your memo. And so the, the Senate can use that as the excuse. So I can then wash my hands and say, well, I did my best. <sighs> I sent him twice. But other people said they didn't want him. I mean, this is plausible. This is plausible for sure. But, you know, it, it actually makes Buhari's presidency itself look very weak and uncoordinated. Well, the one thing I know is Dara would not dare do that but this Unless, is you assuming that buhari is in charge i'm not convinced he is well even if he wasn't in charge the chief of staff dara dss and what's the uh maman dara are the ones who are more or less in the the inner circle of power so if they are pointing left it means that that's probably where buhari wants to go I don't think hmm. the NSC or the others have as much influence as those three. Hmm. I mean, so, I'm really confused. I mean, your 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 presentation is certainly plausible, but I'm just really confused. Like, I don't understand what's going on, and I don't think that it's solely down to the to to the angle you've presented, though it's plausible. I think this has to do with Saraki's own personal interests as well. Well, well, obviously, there are many people who don't want. Magu, even even I, I don't have any corruption case uh, hanging on my neck. But even I don't want Magu. Why? Because Why I don't think you want him? He, he, pardon? Why? What's what do you have against the fellow? Because I think he has a fundamental misunderstanding about what his job is as a prosecutor. I don't think he understands how justice works. He doesn't understand how the rule of law works. Mm, mm. So. And I've even heard him speak so many times on TV. It's clear that this dude does not understand his job. He doesn't He's one of strike those... me as particularly intelligent. No offense. And I, I'm, I'm not for against the guy. I don't really care either way. But, I mean, when I heard him speak, I was really underwhelmed. Well, the, the thing with him is he, Hamid Ali of Customs oh. and Buhari, they, they belong to that one-dimensional school of politics where... Once they hear corruption, they think the mere mention of the name corruption gives them the right to do whatever they want to do mm. because they claim to be fighting corruption. Mm. They don't seem to understand that there are other factors to take into account, i.e. due process, the rule of law, uh, precedence, well, and things like that. Well, so well, look, to they me, belong to, to that me, school. To me, really, if, if we're going by... I mean, the EFCC as an institution, to me, is a massive failure. You know, that's from my own observation. When I read cases in court... I read instances where lawyers, EFCC lawyers are sending crucial evidence via Yahoo email addresses, you know, thus rendering them inadmissible. To me, these things are like schoolboy errors, but they keep happening, so it strikes me as deliberate. So the entire institution is very dodgy. Obviously, there will be some good characters in there, whatever. But the, the courts keeps rebuking them for these basic errors over and over again. And the, that they keep recurring suggests that the current leadership is not up to par. 
Right. Well, that that's because the leadership is not taking time to build a case. The leadership just says, oh, X, Y, Z is corrupt. Go and get him. Yeah. And he just ordered Steve to go and arrest this dude. And if, if your boss has told you to arrest someone, when you <laughs> wouldn't even build a case. Yes, but Michael, 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 Michael. I mean, anybody with, with, with any slight familiarity with the law would understand that there are certain... There are certain steps that will render a case impossible to argue and impossible to defend, which is evidence tampering and, and the inability of the court to establish that this evidence comes from a credible source. Once you're sending yeah. crucial evidence via Yahoo email that anybody can open, come on. You don't have to have been through law school to understand that, you know. Well, no, no disrespect. So are they, to... these are trained police officers, Michael. At least that's what we're well, led to believe. Senior police well, officers. Dis- well, no disrespect to the officers involved, even Buhari. But you yourself have se- have heard Buhari answer questions, or even Margot answer questions on TV. Do they sound like people who have an understanding? Yes, 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 Michael. But in, like, let, let's, let's be let's be honest. The entire EFCC wasn't hired after Buhari came into office. This is a fundamental problem with the training and the institution itself. So don't make out like. On, on, on March, whenever, they, they hire the entire cadre of current detectives in the EFCC. That's unfair. There is something wrong well, with the well, way these well, people are trained. There is something wrong well, with as, the mentality you, of the institution itself. Well, yes. So there, there's, there's two factors. One is you can say there's a skills gap. And the other, you can see there's a leadership problem. Yes, I with agree regard, with both. With regards to the skills gap, as with many things to do with the Nigerian public uh, sector of the Nigerian political economy, it is a structural problem. Mm. In in England, for example, I remember when I was at law school, the Crown Prosecution Service used to recruit the best students mm. in criminal law to get pupillage and become uh, uh, criminal prosecutors. Yeah, they don't pay that. In well, Nigeria, then. it's the opposite. <laughs> they don't pay that. Every well. state brings a quota. <laughs> Yes. yes, a governor, his daughter, who didn't even pass law school and say, look, my daughter must be number one on the list. Mm-hmm. So as they say, garbage in, garbage out. Yes, yes, so yes. So if, if it's based on, as you saw with the uh, CBN recruitment scandal, that's probably gone on for years. Mm-hmm. But when you put the most incompetent people in positions, why are we surprised that they can't seem to do the basics? It's, 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 it's logical. Mm-hmm. So you're not really fussed about Magu's rejection or you think it was the right thing? Personally speaking, I, I don't think. I, I think if we want to fight corruption properly, then we need people who are not only passionate about anti-corruption, but who also have a full understanding of what it means to do your job competently. And quite frankly, I don't think Magu understands how to do his job competently. Yes, yes. from evidence, I, I tend to concur with that. Okay, so our third topic for the day is. The schism between Fashola and uh, Ambode seems to be getting public, okay? Um, I don't know what that yeah. means for 2019 or even the nearer future. I don't know what that means. But to me, I was quite disappointed that this came out so publicly, which means that the rift between Tinubu and Fashola is ongoing. I thought it was healed, but I suppose that was naive of me. That means it's ongoing because I do not believe that Ambode would have made that statement were, were, were tensions not still current. In the camp. Now, rumor has it, and I got this from a credible source, but I don't know how true the rumor itself is, that Fashola is soon to be divested of one of his portfolios um, at the behest of Lagos. 
What say you? Well, truth be told, like this uh, Rafai memo uh, scandal, mm. the issue is 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 more is more about the intellectual corruption of our both our political elite and our public commentators. Because it was obvious that this was going to happen. Because if you study the history, Ambode was working in Fashola's government and was fired. Mm-hmm. And the questions people were asking during the campaign is, first of all, you need to tell us why you sacked this person. Nobody wanted to ask that question. People wanted well, to they know... They could ask, but it wouldn't sack. have been answered. Yes. But at the time, the, the intelligentsia all said, oh, APC must take Lagos. If APC takes Lagos... Uh, and the federal government is also APC, there'll be fantastic development. But nobody was asking the obvious questions that, look, Fashola clearly did not think this man was up to the job. But people ignored that. So, to be honest, now that they've openly fallen out, (laughs) I have nothing else to say. These were things that were obvious Mm. to anybody who wasn't playing politics. How, How can you, someone who you sacked, someone who you actually fought with your godfather because you wanted someone else in his place, and everybody is now pretending that, oh, uh, the, the relationship between them has broken down. Like, it just suddenly happened. It was obvious that, that there was no relationship between them in the first place. Hmm. I mean, it's all getting rather interesting, Michael. It's all heating up. It, I'm, I'm excited. I'm very, very excited. Uh, finally, PYO, his performance as acting president. Now, I think the whole thing was blown out of proportion, frankly. But... I suppose it was refreshing to see somebody who wasn't shy of getting out to meet Nigerians and speaking to Nigerians. But it appeared to me, listen, wait, it appeared to me that some people got very nervous about Nigerians' reactions to PYO and some people wanted the whole thing to be wrapped up pretty quickly. Now, I don't know if Buhari is in any state to resume duty as the president. I'm not confident he is, truth be told. But it appears to me that the need to get PYO out of the spotlight, overrode the need to ensure Buhari was healthy. Now, I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but the president did say that he was going to go away again in a couple of weeks for more checkups. So then we're back to square one, essentially. And oh, one funny thing is, he comes back and he says, I've never been this sick in my life, even since I was a young man. And the entire presidency (laughs) for the 50 days were convincing us that the fellow was healthy. Isn't it funny, huh? Well, well, that's the... Uh, problem. There's many aspects of the issues you've raised. The first is Buhari has so lowered the bar mm. of governance that Osibanjo basically doing what a Oshimbajo. normal president should do. Not Osibanjo, Oshimbajo. Well, I'm sorry, I'm from Edo State. Oshimbajo. Thank you. He's basically doing what an average president should do. And because Buhari has performed so woefully, mm. an average performance becomes excellent. Because exactly. the first thing is it, it, sh- it doesn't take a messiah to know that you're supposed to visit every corner of the country you're governing. Exactly. It is, it's, not, it's not rocket science to know you should do that. Mm. The second thing is, it's not rocket science to know that you should hold regular meetings with your cabinet and members of your governing team. Exactly. But all of us, Buhari didn't do any of this stuff for months. And the annoying thing for me is the same intellectuals who justified Buhari not doing any of these things were the same ones now praising praising Osibanjo for having for, for doing the same things. So all it shows is I don't know if, if Buhari is fully recovered, but it's clear he does not have the energy required to be president. That's right. 
I mean, I mean the, the James Ocholi, who was a minister from Kogi State, mm -hmm. died over a year ago. I think it's almost even two years ago now, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and still not been replaced. As we speak, the minister, the, even the ambassadors, have still not been fully appointed. Yeah. So the real issue is whether he's sick or not. Buhari is either too old or just doesn't have the energy to do this job. Well, it's a combination so, of both, I reckon. It's a combination. Yes. Mm. So, and if if he had a competent team around him, they would at least provide the energy that Buhari doesn't have. But the funny thing is, even the chief of staff looks a bit too old as well and weak. Well, which so, goes back to um, El Rufai's letter. Now, I know you'd like to discredit the entire thing due to the, the fellow's antecedents, but leave that to the side for a moment and look at the letter on the face of it, just on the contents of the letter. He has a point. And it goes, it harkens back once again to Aisha's comments to the BBC, you know, which is the team, the intimate team around the president have no idea what it takes to do the job. Well, well that's the... The issue is, we keep going back to El Rufai's memo. With respect, it is not El Rufai's memo. This is what the whalers have been saying since Buhari was sworn uh, This is what everybody has been saying. Even people Patrick who supported, even people who supported the APC have been saying this. I mean, yeah. look, it's not, it's not. I know we've all been saying it, fine. But I was, I wanted you to just examine the contents of the memo, not dismiss the entire thing offhand because of the fellow's uh, habits or whatever have you. To me, the, the memo itself, just on the face of it, has merit. You know, because in it, like you said, are a bunch of things that have been said openly for, for, for years now. And, and whether, whether or not El Rufai is just simply making a political move, that's okay. But the point is, he's speaking the mind of a lot of people in that memo. Well, everybody is, I would say it's more like... Those people, El Rufai is just reconfirming what everybody else had, yeah. has been saying. Yeah, because yeah. at the end of the day, the average Nigerian is not mad. We can tell when something is not working. So, and if you remember, El Rufai actually told people to go and jump off some mountain in in Kaduna State for raising the same issues that he's now raised in his letter. He so, did, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. That My was, goodness, just, that fellow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did. He, so, so he did. So at the end of the day, the it just hi highlights the duplicity of the mm. Nigerian political elite. They say mm. one thing in public, say the opposite in private. I bet you, if uh, Buhari decides to be ruthless, like maybe Obasanjo would be, mm. I can bet you Buhari could even pull out tapes or other memos where El Rufat said the opposite of what he just Man, told him. Healthy. It will be healthy for him too. That way, maybe these people will think thoroughly their actions before they, they, they take them, they carry them out. You know, it'd be very healthy for him to do that. I'd love it. Well, my main, my main worry uh, on the more serious notes mm -hmm. is, because I used to be a, a, a huge fan of uh, El Rufai when I, when I learned more about the myth as opposed to the man himself. I used to, be a, I used to look up to him. Mm. And one of the things our politicians need to understand about leadership is, you have people coming behind you who are taking your every move as gospel truth. And you cannot afford to play with people's emotions or in their and intelligence. Th th those people should think, should think a bit. I mean, come, these politicians are, are mortals. You know, they're prone to, they're prone to mistakes and they're prone to selfishness and all sorts of things. You can't look, this is my advice. If you're listening, don't look at any politician and think this fellow is all right. Everything he does is all right. no, they're looking after their own interests. 
So you remember no, no, that first I, and foremost. No, I understand that all politicians, even in the West, but still, most successful politicians have an ideological core that they stick to. I agree, to. I agree. So you know what you're following. I mean, think about it. Imagine I was a young APC person who had listened to LRFI publicly say that, look, we should fix the price of the Naira, that the whole IMF uh, advice is all nonsense, and that's all that was, neo-colonialism. That was so, that was so disappointing. That. that was so disappointing to hear him say. I mean, look, I'm a fellow of the, of the guy because we're aligned on, 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 on federalism, at least what he said in public, that I know we're aligned on that. I like that he's performed in terms of his administrative skills, you know. Um, and um, I've come to see that he's probably too vindictive to lead the country. Um, that's not a good thing at all. This whole Audi mess has is, 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 is just been so unedifying. I don't understand why he's hell-bent on pursuing this. Uh, like it, it leads me to believe that he doesn't understand that there are battles you fight, there are battles you just accept. You know, look, let this thing play out. He, he had able to make a reason, uh, number. They could have spoken about this. They could have held a joint press conference. And, and he could have pulled the guy in in a different manner than he did, which is why I said he needs different advisors. At least he needs one ones that can speak truth to power to him. Much like the same way he thinks he can do a Bihari, he needs people that can say, Nasser, you're out of order. But he clearly doesn't have that because he's so convinced of his own rightness over time that he makes these political mistakes again and again and again. And these mistakes are very costly. So, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced of his, of his suitability as president. Yeah. Well, it's obviously a, a, a character flaw because Ambassador made reference to it in his book. And Ambassador mm. probably knows him better than most other politicians. Yeah. That's why even Ambassador, as much as he liked him for certain things, realized that, look, this is somebody that you have to put on a very short leash because if you give him freedom to 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 move as he pleases, he'll get himself into all kinds of trouble. Yeah, Look, numerous people who have worked for him have said the same thing. I mean, much but, much of the problems he finds himself in are, are, are of his own making, and that's the that's the problem actually. And honestly speaking, I do believe that the whole Southern Kaduna thing, and I'm not talking about the incidents themselves, I'm talking about the brouhaha around it. I think some of it is sponsored. I really do. But that's beside the point, if the governor himself keeps digging holes for himself. So, yeah, he makes, well, it, he makes it easy for any opposition to him. He makes it incredibly easy. Well, my, my issue, I've already said, made my views known on his governance style. I mean, it's one thing to say you're fighting, you're trying to solve a problem in Southern Kaduna. I don't have a problem with that. But when you go on TV and start saying Niger Delta militants are the ones dressing up as herdsmen, I mean, what kind of madness is that? Why can't El Rufai ever deal with issues without bringing conspiracies in, into the matter? Yeah, that, so, so that's, 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 oh, that's my huge thing. It's, it's but, not just that. It's, it's just, I wonder if he truly believes these things. That's the problem. Or if he's just saying it because it's politically expedient at that very moment and it'll come back to bite him God knows when, you know? I wonder if he truly believes these things. Well, the one thing we know is he's an intelligent, intelligent fellow. He mm. has top degrees from University of London, from Harvard, from Amadou Bello University. So he's a sharp man. But as with some people who sometimes are sharp, like Obasanjo, we told him, sometimes you're too intelligent for your own good. And the problem with him is nobody knows his opinions on anything because he says what he needs to say at the right time. And that's what goes back to my main point, that if I had someone like that as my mentor, I'd be very worried because 
I won't even know what he thinks. He's led me down the socialist path. And then the, the next day, he's writing a memo yeah. saying the opposite of what he said. So what kind of politics are we leaving to the next generation mm. if we can't even have politicians who have a settled ideological position? Well, but, and, you, and know, but you know that most of them don't have this. Oh, that reminds me. I wanted to talk to you about Dan Quimble because I see that there's a concerted campaign on Twitter for the fellow. And it's amusing to me. I don't know what that's predicated on because I've looked at at a jam result for, is it Gumbi? What's the state? Yeah. Gumbi. Gumbi. Yeah. I've looked at jam results. They're not impressive. He's owing salaries for like eight months, nine months. So I don't understand what all this glory and, and, and noise is predicated on. The fellows built some roads, so... Well, I, I think the little I know of him is, firstly, he's obviously very popular in his state, which is why even when the uh, Buhari tsunami was sweeping through the north in 2015, he was the only P PDP governor that retained his position. So he's clearly popular in the northeast. Uh, he's obviously an accountant, so he probably knows how to manage money and how to build... Yes, but uh, not pay salaries. Yeah. Huh? Oh, yes, I'm getting to that. But, you know, in Nigeria, the standards are so low that building roads is seen as a major achievement. And the fellow's building conference centers in Gombe. Who the hell is going to go to Gombe to hold conferences? No offense, but really? Well, that's that's what they all, every governor seems to engage in that. My, my bigger issue with Dan Kwambo, like with any uh, politician going forward, is I supported Gulag Jonathan because I liked his ideological direction and I could see it was growing the economy. What I want to know from Dan Kwambo is it's one thing to have money to build roads and schools. When you become president of the country, there are bigger issues you need to be dealing with, how to create jobs. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm not convinced. I mean, I think, like you and I have said repeatedly, if you listen to the show, you know we said it repeatedly, we have to look at these fellows' uh, past to guide us for the future. I mean, some of us yes. didn't do that well enough for Buhari, except it, okay? If this fellow well, can't improve jam results, if this fellow can't pay wages on time, that doesn't bear well for his for any future performance. I'm sorry. Look, well, you're saying he's a northern governor that we should all look to and support, but what are the progressive results that he has achieved well, to warrant I, this silly consideration? Because, Michael, Michael, wait, Michael, wait. I... Yeah. When I was considering who I would support for 2019, I mentioned El Rafai and I told you why. I mentioned Atiku and I told you why. And you told me why neither fellow was particularly good for the job. Okay, and I accepted that. Those are viable criticisms. And I, you know, that's fine. Yeah. Now people are popping up this Dan Quimbo guy. I'm not about party come 2019. I'm about ideas and performance. And I went well, to check out the guy because I didn't want to be on some, okay, he's PDP, he's suspicious. I've left that behind. I'm looking at the individual and the performance now. And there is nothing, Michael, there is nothing about this guy that suggests that he's good enough for a presidential ticket. Well, I, I, I'm not, I think you're misunderstanding my point. I think the truth, as like I said from the outset, I don't know much about what he's done. I've just seen the pictures and I see, okay, he's built some roads and some schools. I don't know if he's owing salaries or, or not. All I'm just saying is, like you rightly said, I'm more interested in what his overall plans for governance are, whether he has a good history. But because I have not done enough of his research, I have not been one of those people who has been endorsing him or hailing him because I, I can only campaign for someone if I think they have a good track record. And at the moment, I don't know enough about Taquambo to... 
to that's, the, that's to my the... stance that's my stance going yeah. forward party irrespective if i'm impressed with the record and i believe that the fellow in question can de- deliver a performance i'm gonna i'm gonna back them party i'm gonna back them so when i mean you mentioned him before so when i started seeing the campaign on twitter i was like okay maybe there is something about this fellow let me go check it out and most of the well, things i saw were negative so i'm confused well, no. no i mentioned him in the sense that they're saying they want to zone into the northeast and he's one of the people mm, they are considering yes, that's right but yes. to whether i think he'll be a good president the truth of the matter is of all the current crop of northeast politicians that they are mentioning the only two who i think may run a market orientated economy are probably one maybe atiku because of the things he said and two i think probably nuguri badu because of the relationships he's built. He is was also a member of the economic enough? team on the Obasanjo. Is he so strong think, enough? That's my question about Ribadu. Is And I don't mean physically strong enough. Politically, that is. Is he strong enough? Well, I, I think he is. You be, all, all he needs is the advantage you have is Ribadu has international clout. Uh-huh. So if he gets the job, he'll have the, uh, he'll have the uh, protection from many of the things he wants to do. He also has the goodwill of people like Obasanjo, who may or may not be alive by then, and if you're the power brokers. So I don't think his strength should be the issue I'd worry about. I just want to I'm more be concerned about his ideology and whether or not... And his preparation. And his preparation. That's very important. He was so woefully underprepared the last time. I was so disappointed in him. His preparation is very important. Um, so, I mean, look, we can speculate all day long about these guys. I think we're in for a big shocker. Um, if Buhari decides to run again, it would be disastrous, personally. I, I mean, the thought of it, it just makes me sick, you know. So I'm hoping, I'm really hoping that he does the right thing and he steps down after, after this term. Um, but there's a lot in the air, man. There's a, well, the, the permutations are crazy. Well, it depends who he anoints as his successor. If he does maybe a... I don't know, maybe he might push Prof to run or Tinubu might run, even though you're claiming he won't. Or, But it depends. If if he picks some useless candidate, then even I will form a group calling on Buhari to do his second term because I wouldn't even be willing to stomach a useless uh, success. I just say, look, just finish your two terms and we know you've, you've done your bit. So, so that's, that's all I, I just wait to see. But... I think Atiku is clearly interested. He's been taking photos everywhere. Man, so. I, I think he'd be my preferred candidate, truth be told. I think because... I mean, I've told you the reasons, but in terms of understanding the economic challenges we face, and that was the reason I supported him against Buhari in the primaries, and those reasons still stand, I think he'd be the best candidate for the job, you know? But it, it obviously depends on the inter-party wars that they're going to fight right now, or intra-party wars, I should say, that the APC is going to fight right now, and whoever emerges victorious, because you know Saraki is also interested. So you've got Saraki, Atiku, Tinubu as a power broker, I don't know who's going to go for, then there's Fire Me, who's also interested. So it, it's, 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 it's complicated and exciting. Very exciting. And I really hope the PDP gets its act together very soon. This is getting quite pitiful now, Michael. Well, I'm hoping, because uh, I, I know Gunnar Jonathan and others have been trying to reconcile both parties. I just hope they'd hurry up and get the thing going. But I think PDP has an advantage 
or has an opportunity now to truly reform itself and have a truly democratic party where every member has a vote in selecting candidates, as opposed to this nonsense where they sit in a room, drink beer, and then come out with Modu Sharif, and everybody's now saying, well, I'm sorry, I brought Modu Sharif in. Like, when you guys weren't listening in the first place, when people told you not to pick him. So we need, the party needs to make itself more democratic and more open, and then hopefully that will give it the strength to, to challenge the APC in 2019. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm looking for for who to support and who to pinch, pitch my tent with. I'm not, I'm not very hopeful thus far. I think it's, it's, I mean, goodness me, it's the political class in Nigeria is a sorry lot, Michael, a very, very sorry lot. And the more you, the more you read about these guys, the more disappointed you get, you know. I think the fervor of, of just changing governments in 2015 is, is just completely dead now. It's time to be as pragmatic as possible. So you get your dose of pragmatism on one hand, and your dose of progressive ideals on the other hand. So, me, I'm hoping for an Atiku Obi ticket. Let's hope I get that. <laughs> well, all I want is just a president who just floats the currency and pushes in a bill to restructure the country so that the states can be competitive in their governance and generally grow the economy. Because my main worry is more an existential uh, threat against Nigeria because the last time I, I looked at the statistics, we're producing millions of people into the job market every year. No jobs. And we now need big bang reforms that get people uh, get people employed or else we're facing a serious crisis. So, I mean, what the advantage is the next government can blame Buhari for everything, for every yeah. damn thing. And, and then people give them the leeway to do what's necessary, which is in many ways what people thought Buhari himself was going to do. But he didn't, and here we are. So, I mean, look, Nigeria ties me, and I, that's part of why I'm off Twitter even, because I'm so bored of seeing stories about our failures and stuff. But on, on a brighter note, you know, on a much, much brighter note, Big Brother is still on. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, The whole Nigerian government itself is Big Brother, so True. I don't know why to watch what on TV when there's the real one playing out to me before our very eyes. Michael, you've missed out, man. Let me tell you. Last night was so good. Oh, my gosh. Watching Bissola reject Triple T and then hearing Bali's confessions to her that he likes her and then she was confused and baffled. She was particularly confused about how she would be perceived by the viewers. It was really good. Well, it was really what good. could be more exciting than Femi Adesino jumping up and down telling us Buhari ranking. <laughs> and then uh, telling us that he saw three missed calls on his phone. That's that I didn't realize Buhari is a clown. <laughs> he's, such, he's such a clown. I, like, I think if we're going to judge Buhari, we should really judge him, as well as the economy, by his appointments. Femi Adesino is a disaster of an appointment. I am just... Ah, the fellow is an utter clown, and he he provides comic relief. So I suppose he serves yeah. he serves a purpose, you know. Um, uh, well, I was very impressed that uh, Garbashio and all of them were celebrating a telephone call from <laughs> from the, or one of that joint text message. Uh, one got a phone call. Oh my gosh, it was it was pitiful. That, that, that's Big Brother for you. We're watching our political Big Brother. So the whole thing was pitiful. My goodness me. Man, Michael, thank you very much once again for honouring my request and for another engaging discussion on the shenanigans of the Nigerian political class. Hopefully, the next time, 
Yes, thank you. Hopefully the next time we uh, get together again, there there is brighter news on the horizon. But I wouldn't hold my breath, though. <laughs> thank you, Michael. Stay on the line, please. Oh.